0: Have you been zombified by addiction?
1: I mean, maybe. I've got some tea downstairs that uh, I made earlier. And as we were talking about the addiction podcast, I thought I should go get that tea. And then I didn't. (sighs) And now I'm sort of thinking about that tea. And, And I sort of do feel like a physical craving. And I don't know if tea is maybe not the strongest thing, you know, like we might talk about in the podcast today, some things that are a little more intense than tea. But it uh, but depends still. how long
0: you steep it, though, really.
1: uh Oh, I mean, this thing's been <laughs> steeping all day.
0: <laughs> so. so, Dave, you're actually right now at this moment zombified by your addiction while we are recording an intro to a podcast episode about addiction.
1: I think I, yeah. And I actually think throughout most of our episodes, I do, I actually feel this like really strong, like pretty much caffeine is the only like drug I consume. And uh, I think about it like when I'm not consuming it, it's like, it's crazy. kind of
0: like you're in love, except it's not a person.
1: Yeah, it's like, I can't get enough. I write it little letters and things like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's very romantic, Dave. <laughs> yeah,
1: so, and then and then when I finally get it, I'm happy. And so my world is full. I'm like, the, if the skies fall as long as I have you, T. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, welcome to the Zombified Podcast, your source for fresh brains. I'm your host Athena Actipus, psychology professor at ASU and chair of the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance.
1: And I'm your co-host Dave Lundberg henrich media outreach program manager here at ASU and caffeinated brain enthusiast.
0: Yes. So, brains are awesome.
1: They are. Um, I'm
0: kind of addicted to brains.
1: Yeah. Well, we've got we we have some brains on today's show. We have a great brain. Yes.
0: Yeah, we have an awesome brain. Today we are talking to Matt Meyer, who is a a psychology professor at ASU. He's also a licensed clinical psychologist and he's worked in many community mental health and substance abuse treatment centers. So he knows both the academic side of addiction um, and he knows the practical side of it. And so we get a, a really great nuanced perspective from him and kind of diverse perspective. I mean, everything from, you know, like the, the serious side of addiction to, um, you know, a, a a nice journey through drugs that make people behave like zombies. So we have quite a diversity in this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, going, yeah, ranging from sort of, yeah, just moderate, like my current caffeine zombification to just the outright bizarre, like bath salts and things like this that, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, but it's really interesting. And I also think like he's, you know, he's studied this stuff. It's, and it's really informative. I think it's a really useful thing for people to listen to. So.
0: Agreed. uh, Yes.
1: So grab a, grab a big pot of tea and,
0: (laughs) uh, sit down for this one. Yeah, Yeah. And before, before we get started, if you are interested in learning more about what we're doing in October for the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine meeting. We will talk about that after this episode. Um you could also go to zombie med dot zombie to um read more. But yes, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah. It's a great place
1: for brain addicts. They've we've yeah. got a we've got a prime batch so um. (laughs)
0: speaking of wonderfully delicious fresh brains let's hear from this week's fresh brain Matt Meyer
1: I know it's crazy but it seems so logical try to fight it but it's something psychological with you makes me act the way I do Not trying to be overanalytical, retracing time to remind myself how ugly this could be. But something
2: else is taking over me.
0: Matt, thank you so much for joining us for Zombified.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Would you introduce yourself in your own words for all of us, please?
2: My name is Matt Meyer. I'm a licensed psychologist and assistant clinical professor here in the Department of Psychology.
0: So, you're like an actual psychologist as opposed to like me, where I'm like a (laughs) professor? People are like, oh, you're a psychologist. You're analyzing me right now, aren't you?
2: Only if you pay me. (laughs) Um, But yes, so I have spent a lot of my career working in community mental health, substance abuse treatment centers. uh, still see a client here and there, um, but now the majority of my time spent in our training clinic for the uh, PhD program in clinical psychology supervising our grad students.
0: Awesome. So you really have seen the full gamut of human life in this context. I
2: have. I've worked in psychiatric hospitals um, with kids, adults, um, and just about every mental disorder there is.
0: Wow, wow. So, what what drew you to that initially? What got you into the field?
2: Well, so when I uh, I started out in engineering, um, did engineering physics, then aerospace engineering, and wait,
0: wait, how do you get from <laughs> that to uh, well, like mental health and addiction? <laughs> uh,
2: so I was not happy. Um, calculus kicked my butt. And, um, (laughs) uh, decided I didn't know if I wanted to just be, um, working at a desk all day, uh, and went through the course catalog. And the only thing that sounded interesting was psychology, um, helped that my dad was a school psychologist. Um, so had some, exposure from a young age, but um, so you decided... were like
0: trying to not follow in your dad's footsteps. And then there you were. Just following. <laughs> I, know. Dad's
2: uh, I, I always <laughs> liked the, the science and math, but, um, still missed the human interaction. Yeah. And, uh, so went to grad school, um, and, uh, started in a substance abuse lab. And, uh, I, I loved that you still saw every other aspect of every other problem and. in and improvement and decline. And it was just, you saw everything through the lens of substance abuse.
0: Yeah. Well, and and that kind of brings us to the topic for today of addiction and how addiction and substances can actually take over our brains and zombify us, right? That they can have this powerful influence on human behavior.
2: Well, and I, I think I've got kind of the one of the easiest topics to yeah. bring to this program <laughs> yeah. um are you guys into the slow zombies or fast zombies? oh
0: just bring whatever you got bring it <laughs> well,
2: well so uh before we talk about the seriousness of addiction and and yeah. how that really can control people um uh, if you look over the past few years we've seen um some of the new synthetic drugs that create behaviors that look just like zombies. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, like what? So, um, I don't know if you remember in 2016 in Brooklyn, New York, uh, there were 33 people that got the same batch of, of the, it was called AK 47. Um, and it's a synthetic, um, cannabinoid. And, they were slow to respond, had these shuffling movements. There was a lot of moaning and groaning. Seriously? I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: So how did they... I, I don't know that much about drugs. How do people take a synthetic... Connective? Is it like, different ways they can take it? or they
2: um, oral or, like, they ate yeah it? Or? I, I believe these were pills, okay. um, but you can also smoke some. Right. And, I mean, okay. there's... There's any number of ways of actually uh-huh. using them. It's just how they're made.
0: Okay, um, so, so they were, you know, thinking that they were going to have a nice, relaxed It was supposed to be experience. like getting high on pot. Yeah. Um,
2: that kind of euphoria, relaxation, maybe a pleasant bit of hallucination. But um, either the dose was too high or there were too many toxins in it. And so
0: instead, they were like wandering around Brooklyn, like, <laughs> <"Urgh.">
2: yes, <laughs> yeah, Urgh. literally. And, and I mean, that where's was where's my
0: coffee? <laughs> where's my artisan bespoke coffee?
2: <laughs> that was the news story is like the zombie apocalypse is upon us,
0: huh?
2: Um, so I that just... was. That was from uh, the synthetic um, cannabinoids, and then if you want the fast zombies, yes, um, <laughs> the, the, I don't like those. I'm more of a <laughs> Shaun of the Dead kind. Yeah, of Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, uh, with the the fast zombies, those are what you get from the synthetic stimulants. Um, so uh, bath salts, uh, uh, the
0: yeah. So tell us about the bath salts thing, because <laughs> I I I learned from. Uh, from Foster, all of like what basalts were in my mind was blown that like, there's actually like people actually will sell the drugs called and they call them basalts, but they're not actually. So they,
2: it's, it's a way of getting around the laws. So um, with all of the synthetic drugs that are being created, you tweak the chemical makeup just a tiny bit. And then that's no longer covered in any of the laws that say it's illegal. Um, And then they also get around it by saying, This isn't a drug for human consumption. It's bath salts or incense. (laughs) And so you could sell them in convenience stores and and just go in and buy it as a bath salt. Yeah, I'm going to add this to my bath. No, it was a drug that they were going to take.
0: So be careful when you're buying bath salts if they seem more expensive than they should be.
2: <laughs> well, I think yes. if you're planning on using them as bath salts, yeah, then you're going to be hard. fine. Are they, are
1: they effective as bath salts if somebody were to?
2: I have no idea. I think like, that would have considered a big waste to dump their drugs into the bath because you're not going to get you might high from that. Absorb
0: some of it through your skin, right? I mean, because you. Oh, I, I, or I'm or, just speculating. I was just now.
1: like, what are like normally if I'm if I'm not buying bath salts for drugs is it just it's just supposed <laughs> no. to like make the bath smell
0: nice right no no like no? you actually oh. absorb the minerals and stuff in Oh, your okay. skin like if you're like really um, sore from like skiing or something and you put Epsom salts in your bath like I don't know it helps like your, oh interesting yeah you actually so. absorb some of it in your skin apparently.
2: yeah I I don't know that anybody was administering it that way and getting high <laughs> from <laughs> taking their, <laughs> their hot cells. bath it's a empirical
0: <laughs> question though <laughs>
2: Uh-uh. Um, but so with, with the, the name of, of one type of basalt that was really causing problems was called flaca, Okay. Um, and that, re- with an overdose, I mean, if it were taken at a the ideal dose, I guess, is it's that stimulant. So you're lots of energy, motivated, running all around. Um, so like if you were doing cocaine or, or meth. Um, but again, with these being made up in home labs, um, there were some toxins or just too high of dose and it caused aggression and irritability and anger. Um, This is, there was a story coming out of Florida where a guy was biting a homeless man um, and it took three or four people to, to restrain him. Uh, And so it was just lots of aggression, lots of um, hostility and, and violence and and um,
0: um, how often is biting like a side effect of drug use? Th-
2: so I, I, after that <laughs> came out, I was looking into that and yeah. and they weren't even sure um, what all else he had taken. It yeah. was it was the assumption. Or if that was just his thing. Uh, I, mean, I mean, maybe he, he was just, just a, a big fan, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I I've not heard of many instances of of biting as a maybe, side effect. Maybe
0: he was that preschooler who was like getting kicked out for, for biting. Right. Sorry. And it just like came just back. Just kind of like, fit yeah. in with that. Right. <laughs> right. I, I remember
1: when this hit the news though yeah. like this was a big thing. Like he just attacks this guy and starts right. eating him. And yeah. it was just <laughs> like, and, and was out
2: of it. Was non responsive to people. It just just was trying to eat people. <laughs> <laughs> so now
1: and now these bath salts things they're not like are they hallucinogenic
2: like so some are i mean um the the synthetic cannabinoids are um do cause delusions and hallucinations um okay and sometimes that's the the goal i mean if you if you people like taking ls some people like taking lsd um for the hallucinations so um that that is a goal for some people
1: Sure, I just wasn't, when you were saying it was like synthetic cocaine or methamphetamines, I was thinking, like, hallucinations. Yeah,
2: that is one of the effects. Is it? um, For the um, cannabinoids, sometimes for the stimulants, um, but not always. Okay.
0: It, It really makes me think about kind of how fragile our... Perception of the world is if you can just take some substances and it makes you see things that are not really there and do things that you wouldn't do and be unresponsive to other people around you. Like, you know, not just our perception, but our our sense even of our own autonomy is really fragile. If you could just pop some pills and or some bath salts, it
2: really all lies on a continuum. I mean, we have hallucinations every day. And how many times do you reach for your phone thinking it vibrated,
0: <laughs> and it
2: didn't, sure. um, or you thought somebody said your name? Um, I mean, it happens mm-hmm. all the time, but it's not causing problems for us. But you go to the other extreme with schizophrenia or with the acute effects of drugs or lasting effects of of drugs. Um, you get that where you lose touch with reality. Mm.
0: Yeah. I, I, I mean, it blows my mind, though, because I, I, I think, I mean, I at least going through my everyday life have this intuition and this feeling like I can trust my senses and also that I am like a volitional entity interacting with my environment. <laughs> and when I hear these stories, you know, I, I think like, I mean, one way to think of it is like, oh, that's just something crazy that happens. And another way to think about it is like, oh, hey, all of us are actually vulnerable to having our perception of the world transformed right i mean like if you got kidnapped and someone drugged you like right you're then you don't have the same lose control yeah exactly
2: can't think can't can't make your own decisions any of that
0: yeah yeah so i mean there's a i think there's uh, the whole issue of just our you know how vulnerable we are to Having these, you know, changes in our our, like our very sense of who we are, just consuming something. Right? It's like down the rabbit hole. But but sometimes that's
2: the goal is escape. I mean, that's drugs are great at letting you escape from your current situation, whether it's to relax or to sedate yourself or to create different emotions being Euphoric and excited and lots of energy or or actually with the goal of hallucinating Mm. and and experiencing a different perspective on the world.
0: Right. So maybe partially we zombify ourselves to escape.
1: Yeah. Well, I also I mean, because my drug of choice these days is caffeine far yeah, away and i've just sort it's of a good drug allowed myself <laughs> as i accept. just took a sip of yeah. my soda yeah <laughs> I, I just am like all right i'm just going to be addicted right and, yeah. I, and i feel like it's almost the opposite where it's like if i don't have that caffeine, then, then i start to yeah then i also my sort of ability to Actually, tell what's going on around me is uh, not necessarily
2: you're sluggish and out of it, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. just like irritable
1: sitting at the computer, and I'll be like, What am I doing? You know, and and I'll
0: hear you across the hall, and you're like, Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) um,
2: That's me until I get that (laughs) the right dose of caffeine, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, so
0: is like, like. What's your view as an addiction expert about caffeine addiction?
2: Well, so caffeine doesn't fall under a substance use disorder um, diagnosis because (laughs) um, you don't typically have negative consequences. So for most mental disorders, there has to be a problem caused from it. I mean, if we look at depression, everybody gets depressed at times. Everybody gets anxious at times. It's not diagnosable. That's not a disorder. It's only when it's to an extreme level and it's causing impaired functioning, um, and so with caffeine, it, you're it's not causing problems. Um, now there there's probably some long term health issues, um, but it's it's not to the level of severity. Well, if you take tobacco, I mean there's no immediate consequences from smoking other than shame at this point, um, but it's the long term kills. Sure. More people than any other drug. But um in the immediate aspect it it's it's not causing impairment.
0: Mm-hmm. So like the worst thing that can happen if you have a caffeine addiction is depleting your savings account at Starbucks with all those oat milk lattes. Yeah. I mean it's,
2: yeah. it's, it's it, worse it'll, well yeah, it gets hard to it's <laughs> so. hard to fund your <laughs> addiction there, yeah. <laughs> but you don't see too many people stealing and and um assaulting people to get money to go to starbucks so (laughs) thankfully otherwise (laughs) ESU would not be
0: a pleasant campus (laughs) look at the lines at starbucks right (laughs) Uh
2: so So, i'm not too worried about caffeine um but i mean there's a little bit of evidence that says you don't want to start kids on it as it can stunt some growth and cause a little bit of problems but
0: so if you want to keep your kids small,
2: right. <laughs> start
0: feeding them coffee at age seven. So,
2: <laughs> and then so, batten down the hatches.
1: When should kids Because I mean <laughs> I know my kids, I, well, my kids would like to start on soda. Yeah. Uh, you know. I don't I don't know
2: um yeah. what the research is on that is as far as is there a safe window? I mean, I think it's you worry just as much about the sugar and yeah, and obesity it's, it's when they're
0: the right size. for you <laughs> right? I all right so. I'm tired of
2: buying new clothes and shoes, so
1: yeah, all right, I'll just buy the outfits and then once they fit those outfits, it's right. like all right, now exactly. here you go. Now yeah. we're just gonna spend all your money on Starbucks. So. <laughs> so. Uh, now, what about things that are uh, worse than caffeine? we talk about yeah well, well maybe,
0: maybe i can kind of like lead us in by asking about just like more generally are, are there like particular systems that are sort of always involved in addiction like mechanisms of addiction or is it pretty different like right. d- different drugs really are targeting different systems like what are the mechanisms underlying the addictions
2: so Typically, from a science perspective, we still don't call addiction a disease because we don't have an identified pathway, um, that that a model that fits everyone, that then results in predicted symptoms that then responds to um, an effective treatment. Um, there are so many different pathways to developing addiction, um, and so we... It, we call it a disorder we call it an illness but it's it's not enough. it doesn't fit the criteria for a disease because we don't know but we have a good idea of lots of different things but people can take, take different pathways so nida uh, national institute of drug abuse has really pushed the brain disease um, idea for addiction and that that drugs hijack the brain and and there is a a component to that 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 you start changing the the learning mechanisms of of how people are reinforced and rewarded for doing specific behaviors but it's not just that it's also environmental influences it's genetic influences um it's uh just willful behaviors that you engage in if if you no matter how much liability you have um, like everybody in your family is addicted to something and um if you never use alcohol or drugs then you're never going to become dependent upon it Mm -hmm. so um sometimes it's just the behavior of of actually engaging Mm -hmm. in that
0: I, i remember reading somewhere recently that one of the things that's often in in common like across human studies and animal studies of addiction is that um if you have social isolation, so if, you know, like the rats are housed without other rats or if, you know, humans are, are lonely, then like that seriously increases the likelihood of um, having addictive behavior. Is that
2: right? So um, so that's the case in some situations. Okay. So um, you can you can design a an environment for a rat that they will overdose themselves and die on um, opiates and, and stimulants. Now you cannot get a rat to use marijuana. They, they just, they will not use it. Mm. There's, there's nothing you can do to, to get them to, to self-administer. Um, but the others, if you, um, don't give them anything else, then sometimes they'll go to, to the extreme where they're not, they're choosing to use the drugs instead of eating. Now, um, I think it was in the seventies or eighties, there was this big study called the Rat Park. Um, I think, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, the, the research methods were pretty poor and the, su- the oh. study itself was kind of debunked, but the idea was fascinating. And it was if you provide a, a rich environment for the rats. So there's other rats that they can interact with. There's food and water and, and, Activities to engage in, then they won't self-administer drugs to themselves because their environment is enriched enough. And so uh, there's something to that. the The science wasn't the best on it. Is,
0: uh, I mean, I really want that to be true. Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, but we can we can look at humans for that. Yeah. Um. So I mean, there
0: haven't been good follow-ups. There and... has
2: not that I've seen, mm. and it, it's it's a shame. But
0: yeah.
2: Um. I don't know why that hasn't been further pursued. Yeah.
0: Hmm. But you said we can see it in humans.
2: Absolutely. I yeah. mean, so we tend to think of, of we have this the opiate crisis right now that's everybody's talking about. We see opiates as the most severe drug. Right. Um, but really. All drugs are pretty much the same as far as um, the number of people that become dependent upon them. Really? Uh, there was a great study after the Vietnam War. That looked at so, almost all of the soldiers in in Vietnam were were abusing opiates heavily. Mm. This was an awful experience, awful environment, and they could escape by by using opioids. And when they came back to the U.S., only about ten percent remained dependent. Mm. Um, the the rest came back into a supportive environment, got jobs went about with their families and and just quit using no treatment, no problems. They just it was a very situation specific problem. Hmm. And but there's about 10%, and that's that's pretty much seen across all drugs is about 10% of the population has a liability to becoming dependent, really? regardless of the drug. Now there's there's some difference. Huh. Um you see that uh if you if you looking at just the first time you use, um, so if I use tobacco, one in six people become dependent, eventually become dependent, and it's about one in six that try opiates that become dependent. Um, but again, and, and versus alcohols like one in ten, marijuana is like one in fifteen or twenty. Um, so there mm-hmm. are different. I mean, the drug itself can be more or less addictive, okay. um, but the people that continue to have long-term problems and consequences and develop substance use disorder it's only about t- six to ten to twelve percent
0: and you know if it's that same six to twelve percent across different types like are people who are more susceptible to getting addicted to alcohol also more likely to get addicted to opiates and cigarettes and
2: there, there's some of that it's just um we used to call it poly substance dependence it was just mm-hmm. like Whatever's in front of me, I'm going to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some people that just are in all categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but lots of people have their drug of choice. Yeah. Um, I like alcohol or I like marijuana. I mean, when you look at um, the heavy cannabis users um, now, they don't drink very much. Their drug of choice is marijuana. They don't. Mm-hmm. It's not really a gateway drug. They're not mm-hmm. going on to other subs. That's that's what they like. They mm-hmm. like the experience of, of using pot um, and just aren't as interested in the others.
0: So that, that then can't really help address the question of if it's the same underlying mechanisms, right? Because it was like, oh, 10% of people are likely to right. get addicted. And if you present them, whatever you present them with, they're likely to get addicted. Then that would suggest that it's maybe of similar... Or you know shared mechanisms underlying right. it, but well,
2: there there are shared mechanisms. Um, yeah. It's just the the pathway um, that a person takes uh-huh. um, is can't really be defined by a single model, mm-hmm. and so it when we're talking about addictive substances, if you use enough, long enough, you're going to become. Uh, at the very least, physiologically dependent, mm-hmm. meaning you'll you'll develop tolerance. So it takes more of the drug to get the same high or low, whatever okay, the sure. effect is. Um, and then you also experience withdrawal. So when you stop having the drug in your system, you experience mm-hmm. negative um, symptoms. And mm-hmm. that'll happen for
1: pot or... Like right. So, well, so or lots of it?
2: people argue... Um, with marijuana that it's, it's not um, physiologically dependent, but it is. If you get somebody that's using every day and then they stop, they're irritable, they're cranky. I mean, it's not to the same level of severity as some other drugs, but there is a physiological mm-hmm. dependence. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the psychological dependence. So mm-hmm. I use when I'm in this situation or I use when I want to change my current emotional state. There's, there's, I want to use this as a coping strategy. um, but there's also the physical, just the cravings. Mm -hmm. I mean, with opiates, uh, it goes from seeking a high to just avoiding the withdrawal. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what happens with the reward system in all of this? You know, how is it getting hijacked by the drugs?
2: So you are pumping in all kinds of of extra, um, neurotransmitters that mm-hmm. are that are stimulating your brain. They're rewarding this behavior. So if I, um, am playing a, a a playing catch with my son, and this is a fun experience, then there's some. Our brain rewards us for that behavior. Mm-hmm. Our brain rewards us for. Um, eating, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, there's all kinds of just natural mechanisms that occur when we start putting in drugs into our body, that's adding in all kinds of extra dopamine that makes it super rewarding. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that becomes feeling that good can only be created by using drugs again. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's this, and, and so that minimizes how rewarding these other natural behaviors are.
1: So, Go ahead. I have a question. So like, cause say someone drinks a glass of wine, right? Mm-hmm. And so then the alcohol, it gets into their blood. And then does the alcohol itself have like things that set off the dopamine when it gets into the brain? Or is there something else that happens that causes that dopamine release? You know what I mean? In
2: Yes. And um, remember I'm a treatment provider not a researcher so when we get into neuroanatomy i'm 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 not the expert um but so when you start when you drink the alcohol it's um there's a couple of steps of conversion um Mm -hmm. that and, and unfortunately we've now reached the peak of um how i can explain this but um the those chemicals are broken down uh, to get to the point where you have the the molecules that then mimic other neurotransmitters and will lock into the the neuron receptors to stimulate your brain mm-hmm. um, yeah this this so.
0: makes me think about like you know it, it, so if we think from an evolutionary perspective right we have all these different kinds of motivations right like mm-hmm. parental care right playing catch uh finding mates, keeping mates, acquiring resources, getting status, right? All, all of these kinds of motivations. And I wonder, and I'm completely speculating here, but if you might be able to predict what drugs would be most addictive for people based on what motivations um, are most important for them at their sort of life stage or, you know, so like if you're, at a stage where the most important thing is like social connectedness then maybe you'll be more susceptible to opiates because they provide that versus if you're like in a resource acquisition mode then maybe you know methamphetamines that like make you really productive will be more likely to make you addicted because they're tapping into those motivations that your evolved brain is like this is what i should be doing right now
2: so it's addressing an unmet need if if i'm always anxious and high-strung and wired then I want a sedative to bring me down um, if I'm depressed and and can't get going and need that energy then yes a stimulant cocaine um, so the drugs do there it's a coping mechanism it's what can I do artificially to help me function? The problem is, and, and so it's an interesting question, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I haven't seen anything on predicting different, like, who uses what drugs.
0: Yeah.
2: Because, I mean, you can't do that experimentally, um, so it's all self-report. Right. But you get the full range of, of. Symptomatology that leads to all the different drugs. Yeah. Um. Sometimes it's just access. Mm-hmm. Um, kids are more likely to start with tobacco and and now vaping mm-hmm. because it's easier to get than other substances. Mm-hmm. Um. Although marijuana is getting easier and easier to get as well, so um, we're seeing an uptick in that again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think about the sort of stereotypes, I don't know that these are yeah. scientifically backed, you know, but you feel like the Wall Street. Person on cocaine. Now, I guess cocaine is expensive, but it's like the person, mm-hmm. you know, it sort They're of fits your idea. resource driven. Of sort of, yeah. And then people yeah. at a And it was accepted. <laughs> like, uh-huh. was it? it
2: was like. I mean, it was mm-hmm. just dismissed. And the, the legal charges were much less than doing crack, which was much cheaper. But th- it was the same drug. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just. But that was lower SES. People were more likely to use crack. And the, the sentencing was out of whack on that. Yeah,
0: that's crazy.
1: Yeah. So, um.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so maybe we can kind of talk about the this question of like you know our our autonomy and like the what you know when we think about people who are addicted to substances like you know what what is your opinion from having seen people in all at all levels of this like you know is that something that. Is really sort of hijacking and and zombifying them. How much control right. do people have over that? What what is going on with people's autonomy during addiction?
2: So, uh, that's a great question. And unfortunately, psychology has the field of psychology was is really behind on addiction. And over the last couple of decades, they've caught up as far as treatment goes. But um, if we go back to the the thirties, if if you had an addict or, or a alcoholic. Um, and it was this horrible thing and there was no treating it. It was either they were going to be homeless or get locked up or, um, or hospitalized. And Mm -hmm. that was it. And so finally Alcoholics Anonymous came out, um, and said, okay, well, we're just going to try to support each other. And that was the only available option for so long other than just being hospitalized or being pushed off to the side. Um, and, I mean, physicians, uh, psychologists just didn't want to touch it because they didn't know how to effectively treat it, okay? Um, and so AA is amazing. It works for many people. It doesn't work for for many people as well, though. There need to be other options. Um, I forgot your question.
0: <laughs> about autonomy. Like, do you think? Okay, that,
2: so yeah. if we think about the number of people that become dependent on substances. Like I said, it's about 10%. I mean, that's a a rough estimate um, if we just collapse all the drugs together. About 10% become dependent at some point. Um, And most of them recover on their own, (laughs) okay? Um, You look at uh, alcohol use, especially for college students, and it shoots so high during college um, for a chunk of people. But then when you have to start going to job, um, going to work from eight to five every day and um, start having a family and have all these additional responsibilities, um, for most people, their alcohol use drops off. There's only a small percentage, about 10%, that keep going and, and start having pr- problems because of that. So most, And most people recover on their own. So it's only this subset that really develop problems. And those are the people that we need treatment for. Yeah. Those are the ones that that lose their autonomy, that get pulled mm-hmm. into um, chasing the high or just avoiding the withdrawal mm-hmm. and, and give up their choice. It's, I'm, yeah. because, and that's, there's this stigma against addiction that, well, I see you grabbing your beer, um even though you you know it's going to cause problems and i see you going out after drugs so it's really hard to have any sympathy when they are engaging in a behavior that they know is going to cause problems but that's that's where the brain gets hijacked it's um i'm not doing this cuz i want to cause problems it's this is the only way that i can cope and get by and function it's all i have yeah sure. it's like
0: the the country song you know Alcohol ain't a problem; it's a solution, at least chemically speaking.
2: Right. And right. and <laughs> they're they're locked into having these blinders and can't see another option um, on how to to solve any problems, to function, to to do. They're not. Nobody's sitting there trying to cause additional problems for themselves for others. It's just this is their only option that they see. Mm. to keep using substances.
0: And so you sort of use this analogy of the, the blinders. Like, there is it that they're not seeing the other possibilities? Or it's right. just like they can't access those other possibilities somehow?
2: It's that either they don't have the social support that they need. Um, I mean, in psychology, we do all this talk therapy. Um, that doesn't help if somebody is homeless and doesn't have a job. I can't talk about here's some skills to help you feel better. Um, Well, you're going to still have to figure out getting a job in a house. I can't help you with that. That's social work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just it's such a a stupid way of looking at it. Um, If we don't meet their basic needs, they're not going to function at a higher level. And so with addiction being used, drugs being used as a coping mechanism, we need to give them alternative coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So rather than drinking to relax, it's let's teach you mindfulness let's teach you um, how to engage in um, hobbies let's figure out a way for you to relax to calm down to to regulate your emotions without depending on substances
0: so the substances really kind of become a way of doing that self-regulation yes there aren't other options for for the self-regulation for
2: any problem drugs are the solution Okay, If it's I'm stressed or I'm worried or I'm depressed or I'm um, in a fight with somebody or I'm feeling hopeless and and, or I don't see how to solve my problems, it's escape. It's just getting away from that.
0: Right. So it's you get that escape, but then you're back.
2: You're back and and you've probably caused some additional problems. So it's just gotten worse. But again, you don't have the tools or the skills to... Try to start digging your way out of it. Plus, all of these cognitive behavioral skills that we teach take time. <laughs> yeah. you, have to, you have to work at it. You have to practice to get better before it starts to be effective. And it's this persistent effort over time that you see change versus drugs In go sense, into effect just like that. immediately. Yeah. Yes, it's that immediate gratification. It's nothing works as fast as drugs.
0: Right. And they're tapping into the reward system. And I mean, evolutionarily speaking, we have this reward system to help us, you know, do the things that are going to benefit us. Right. And so, like, you're, we're actually fighting against the very biology that's in place supposedly to Absolutely. help us to do things that will be in our best
2: interests. Well, and what really com- um what really intensifies the problem is when you've got comorbidity. Um, meaning let's say you've got depression and substance use disorder. Um, if you don't also treat the depression, um, people are going to relapse. So I'm, I'm drinking so that I don't have to deal with this depression. Okay, I've gotten sent to treatment. Now I've stopped drinking, but now I'm even more depressed. I don't have any alternative skills to address the depression, and I'm actually going to be more depressed than I was previously because the, the drugs have rewired everything, mm. so nothing is as enjoyable as it used to be. Nothing is as satisfying, and so I'm even more depressed. I'm not drinking, but I'm miserable, so I, I can't live like this. I might as well go back to drinking.
1: Right. So so what can people do instead? So the,
2: the thing is, is treatment works. Now, the way traditionally substance abuse treatment has been set up is shot everybody in their own foot. When we say it's abstinence or nothing, um, if if you're not abstinent, then treatment didn't work. Um, Or if you relapse, then you've failed. And that's just such a stupid way of thinking. We don't treat any other illness that way. Um, If you look at type 2 diabetes um, that has a behavioral component and a physical component, um, you have about the same relapse rates as you do with addiction treatment. Um, people don't always stick to their diet for type 2 diabetes. They aren't maintaining the exercise. They aren't doing the things that they need to do to treat their symptoms um, at times. Sure. And so they then they tend to relapse. Then they go back in to see the doctor and they get back on track and start doing better again. With substance abuse treatment, we've said, okay, go away for 30 days. There's your treatment. Now you should be all better. And if you start drinking again, then you're a failure. And, and so... Combating that is is the biggest task, that relapse is a part of this illness. It's expected. We need to plan for it. And you're not a failure when you relapse. It's just part of the process. You learn from that relapse. You add some things to to be more successful, and you move on.
0: This reminds me of when we talked with Mary Davis about mindfulness. Uh Uh-huh. And how like adding meditation practice, adding loving kindness practice, like all of those things, you know, you won't be perfect. There will be days when you don't do it. Maybe you'll go a week or two weeks and you don't do it. Um, But that's not failing it's just part of
2: that's an unrealistic expectation to think that anybody's going to be perfect from here on out
0: yeah for anything right for anything right like (laughs) there has to be room to not always be perfect and then be able to get back in there and and try again and
2: And and unfortunately that's that abstinence or failure is still a big part of substance abuse treatment today um, like the counting days, basically. Right. right. So I, I, I've got two years of recovery. Oh, I just drank. Now I'm back at day one. You can't take away that yeah. two years of, of recovery and where you were doing well. It, it, that's not wiped clean. And so that mentality is what sabotages so many people's recovery is that, well, I just screwed up. Might as well make it a good one. Um. everybody's going to see me as a failure, so I'm going to just uh, put the pedal to the metal.
0: I don't, so, I don't know if this is actually true, but one of my colleagues told me yesterday that the Dalai Lama is a vegetarian on alternate days.
1: Really?
0: I don't know if it's actually true, but it seems relevant to this conversation. Right? I mean, well, <laughs> it's a good metaphor
1: because I've heard that with decreasing your meat consumption, where they're like, look, even if you're not going to go vegan, even if you're not going to go vegetarian, if you just have vegetables today that still helps, right? Mm-hmm. That still
2: I mean, so much of it's about moderation, right? Yeah. With with substances as well. Most people use substances and have no problems. With opiates. I mean, people are prescribed opiates to treat pain. If they do it as prescribed, knowing that your body's going to get used to it, so sometimes for chronic pain you have to up the dose over time, the vast majority of people don't abuse it. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a small subset. And the what has resulted with the opioid crisis is that People die when they relapse. Yeah. I mean, people don't die when they relapse on marijuana. It's it's so there's not the same level of severity. Yeah. Um, but
1: what about with alcohol?
2: Only in extreme cases. Uh, you're usually not going to die. It's it's more of uh, the withdrawal when you come off. If if it's really severe, you can have seizures, go into really? okay. um uh, DTS, which is um What's DTS. Uh, De- yeah, delirium right. tremens. Um, okay. So it's it's the shakes. It's some cognitive problems. You drink long enough, and, and you completely um, permanently damage your brain. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but but if you relapse on alcohol, you're not going to die. Okay. okay? Um, opiates are the worst because you have to build up your tolerance over time. But most people, when they've been clean for a while, now their their tolerances dropped. And But they uh, go back out and use the same amount they did the last time they were using. And it's too much for their body to handle. Yeah. And they end up dying. Wow.
0: Mm. Hmm. Well, I mean, now that we're talking about, you know, morbidity and mortality, maybe it's uh, time for us to transition to the question that we often ask at the end. We always ask at the end.
1: Uh, yeah, you, but before that, I have one. I have, you want so one I'm more? I'm okay. curious because so <laughs> right. we're talking about sort of, we were talking about the sort of Problems with the, the sort of counting days sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Is there a better? Let's say there was somebody out there. Actually, I have two questions. One would be, how do people know if they're addicted? What mm-hmm. should they do if they're addicted? And then it's that's okay. Three. That's three. I know. <laughs> <the> next <laughs> figure come up. And then other than sort of this sort of all or nothing abstinence idea, is there a better sort of? version of goal setting. Mm. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. So. All right. Uh, what was the first talk? one? <laughs> well, the first one is how, how, how can somebody, somebody tell if somebody okay.
0: is Or if someone else is addicted or just you?
1: Um, well, I guess but either way. Either way.
2: Yeah. Um, is it causing problems? Okay. Is it causing problems for you? So you're you're having trouble getting up the next day and, and completing all of your responsibilities or... You're spending too much money or you're doing something illegal and have the potential of of getting arrested for it. I mean that
0: But that, what if you have all of those things, but you're not doing any substances? <laughs> well, so <laughs> that's asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, for a friend.
2: For your friend. <laughs> Substance abuse has put been put off into this separate category different than everything else, and it's not the case. Um, substance use disorder is just another mental disorder with along with all the others um, and and doesn't need to be treated differently it's this the same skills that we we work with for somebody with PTSD or anxiety or depression and the same skills we're teaching them for substance use disorder and so if, if it's not substances but you're having mm-hmm. problems there's something there to address yeah, right. and and um, there are fixes for that right no. I, <laughs> so. Actually- I, like getting
0: you. off the tenure track, for example. <laughs> okay. There's
2: there's a lot of jobs that don't have the same level of pressure and
1: <laughs> dread. And, <laughs> yes. Well, I know. So I I quit, I totally stopped drinking like two and a half years ago, and I would like read these sort of like online things about people who are like ever since I stopped drinking, I get up early, I have all this energy, and I was like, where is this energy? You know, like for me, I never got. I was just like, oh, I just don't like to wake up early and so (laughs) but that was it was a frustrating thing because i'd heard all these things of like oh once you quit drinking all of a sudden and i don't know if if it was just and then i realized no most of most of the things that were my my issues are just my issues
2: right Um, and 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 so a lot of the people that become dependent on substances have other problems going on just just like all the problems we face everyone faces every day you have to work to be able to effectively deal with all the crap <laughs> sure right and so just because you stop substances you you still have to deal with everything else and if you if you stop drinking as the solution you're probably going to be disappointed it's what do i need to do to address these specific problems alcohol wasn't wasn't working I can't just take that away. I've got to find something else that will work.
1: Yeah. I mm-hmm. did find I did find for a long time I was just stressed. I was just like, oh my right. gosh, now I'm just more stressed about all the stuff you, you, that I was stressed about. Mm-hmm. Like, you no longer
2: stressed. have that temporary escape of getting a little buzzed and having yeah. the depressant. So you have to find so that was working for you somewhat, but maybe it was also causing problems or just wasn't healthy. And and so you still have to deal with the original problem of stress. Right. So, (laughs) So, And so back to your question of, of how do you know if you're addicted, it's is it causing problems for you or is it causing problems for other people? I mean, the biggest sign is have other people express their concern about your drinking or drug use. If somebody else in your family or that you're close to or that cares about you says, I'm worried about this, then that's really something you should be taking a step back and looking at rather than just. Um, getting defensive and is like, piss off, this works for me. Uh, it's not causing any problems. I'm fine. If somebody else is, that cares about you is saying they're concerned about this, that's a pretty good indication that there's something going on. So, yeah. uh, so it's, it's really about is it causing problems mm-hmm. for you or for those that you care about.
1: No, mm-hmm. no. I know in my personal situation, I thought, I was like, oh, I yell at my kids too much. I don't get out of bed. And then I quit drinking, and I still yell at me, too well, right. And I still don't get out of I, bed. <laughs> and like, and so. I can
2: have a few drinks and then be cranky the next day. Is it because I had a few drinks, or is it because I got less sleep, or is it because mm-hmm. of any other number of things? Maybe I'm just a jerk. Um,
1: <laughs> I've, I've certainly wondered. I'm like, oh,
2: About see. me being a jerk? Uh,
1: not about you. I didn't know, but I did wonder about myself. I'm like, oh, no, this is just me. Like I'm just... The guy screaming at his kids on the ski slope. Like, and so. <laughs> so, um. so what can I
2: do regarding putting alcohol out of the picture? What can I do to be a better dad? And how can I be more supportive and engaging with my kids? That's that has nothing to do with alcohol sometimes. So, it's what can I do to, to be more pleasant?
1: Right. Yeah. Um, and so, so, but then going back to this idea of for people who, Maybe have some substance, alcohol, tobacco, or whatever that right. they want to stop, and right. they have trouble with the idea of the just the pure. I'm just abstinence. Done. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So, um, so I
2: my first job as a substance abuse counselor was in a twelve step model, thirty day treatment center where it was we're preaching abstinence to everyone regardless of their situation or what got them there, it's you have to stop using all drugs. Uh-huh. Um, and for some people, that's what they need. Uh, Bill Miller is um, one of the developers of motivational interviewing, which is one of the most effective treatments for um, addiction. He also did work on controlled drinking. And so that's that flies in the face of, of all the abstinence Mm-hmm. um pushers abstinence pushers um that controlled drinkings an option and that's by the same guy that did motivational interviewing but it, what they looked at was it really depends on your level of severity there's there's a group of people that are able to say you know what this has become a problem i need to rein it in and mm-hmm. and i need to con- just set some limits i only get to drink this much and i only get to drink this many times and and they do great there's another group that says, okay, I, I'm able to do the controlled drinking, but it's just a pain in the butt. <laughs> I, I don't like half an account. I always want to drink more. This sucks. So I'm either going to just go back to drinking a whole bunch and have problems, or I'm just going to quit drinking. Right. And then there's a third group of people that are incapable of doing controlled drinking, that they once they start – they can't stop, and that's where the 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 idea of the brain being hijacked comes yeah. into play. Is are really
0: just zombified? Once by it. yes,
2: yeah. once that substance is now in you, and you're acutely intoxicated, you're not able to think rationally. You're not able to um, make um, appropriate decisions. You have given up that control. You've become zombified, yeah. and so it's that group that has to to be successful has to be abstinent. Hmm. Now, the, the other key though, and what you asked about, about the, the relapsing is even if you need abstinence, you have to understand that relapse is probably going to happen. Okay. Um, and so we plan for that. If you relapse, what do we do about it? What's your plan? Who are you going to call? Um, how do you, how do you get help and get back on track? As opposed to, oh, you're a failure. We give up
1: on you. Mm-hmm. So how so so for like someone who's listening in, I think the thing I'm trying to figure out is what should they, what should they do like if they're like, all right, I think I have a problem with alcohol, or I have a problem with tobacco, or I have a problem with opioids, right? Right. What what is the step they should take? Do they go to sure. a clinic? Do they go to so, a counselor? Yeah, and especially
0: the, if they're interested in something more than just. The, you know, abstain. Or right. That's right. Or even if they don't well, know, so, if
1: they're like, I'm I not mean, quite sure, hmm. you
2: know. Well, I, I could take anybody that's struggling with substance use disorder and guarantee that they'd never use again. All I have to do is lock them up in a room for the rest of their life <laughs> and make sure no drugs get in. Right. Hmm. That's not realistic. But it proves that anybody can stop using. I just mm-hmm. have to lock you up and make right. sure nobody's smuggling in stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Which is sort of what they do in, like, the 30-day treatment centers, right? Yes. Sort
2: of. it, it's, so. it's a controlled environment mm-hmm. so that you have the chance to detox and be able to start thinking clearly again mm-hmm. to start making these decisions. But after that, it's the environment that you set up for yourself, the support you have, the new skills you start working on to address all these other problems. Um, but but like I said earlier, is most people quit on their own. Um, we all know people that their doctor told them, uh, yeah, if you don't quit drinking, you're going to die. And they just say, OK, didn't realize it was that bad. I'm done drinking. And they mm. don't ever drink again. Mm. Right. Um, for that severe subset, that's not the case. They they can't just say, OK, I'm done and are successful with it. So for those that have tried to stop, I mean, first step is just to try to control it on your own. Just okay. quit using so much. If you can do that, awesome, and find the balance of where you use a little bit and get the benefits and you don't use so much that it causes problems for you or others. If you can't do that, then the next step, lots of people go to AA, which is peer support. It's free. Um, they're everywhere. Um, that works for some people, and it doesn't work for some people. If that doesn't work, then you go to treatment. Now, if it's really severe and, and life-threatening, go straight to treatment, <laughs> straight okay. to detox Go to the emergency room, um, mm-hmm. like the governor's website um, for Arizona, and or just SAMHSA na- nationwide Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Agency has a treatment finder um, that you could just put in your address, and they'll show you all the substance abuse treatment centers around you. So if it's
1: severe and you're you're worried, then go straight to treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, also, can I ask one other yeah. sort of clarify. Because AA, I think of as sort of the traditional thing that people go to for alcohol. Would it right. also be, say, somebody's like on opioids. So would there's they... NA,
2: narcotics anonymous. Okay. And, um, those are readily available in metropolitan areas that can sometimes be harder to find. But if it's a rural community, usually AA will bring in the cool. the drugs as well.
1: And what about tobacco? Because I know that's the other one I
2: know a lot of people. So, uh, there's a lot of cigarette smoking that goes on at a lot of AA meetings. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like the coffee they drink is sludge cause they are dosing themselves with caffeine and they're smoking like chimneys, not all of them, but that's kind of the, the traditional <laughs> AA meeting, um, is you're trying to get through the clouds of smoke to see who's talking. <laughs> um, so for tobacco, it's a little bit different that, um, lots of times treatment is done through your physician. Um, it's, mm. It's still motivational interviewing. It's, it's helping you decide to make a decision to quit. Because with tobacco, it's not, um, there's not a severe intoxication level. It's like opiates where you're dosing yourself so you don't experience withdrawal as opposed to getting a high from it or something like that. Um, and so it's really just a matter of um, making the decision to quit and then setting up your environment so that you can be successful. It means support from others. Sometimes people use the nicotine replacement, which can be beneficial. Works for some, doesn't work for others. But you, there's options that you try um, and, and see what works for you. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. Cool. All right. So I want to now kind of get us in back into the, the zombie Zombies. zone. Uh-huh. Um, so you talked about how there's this... Portion of the population for whom you know once they start with the substance use they kind of get hijacked right and they can't right. stop. So so
2: once they're actually once it, yeah. the the chemical is in their body, the it's hijacked.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so what if we you know rather than that being a small portion of the population that were a overwhelmingly large proportion of the population that once they started consuming these substances you sort of would get hijacked by it, then, so what is, well, but okay. that,
2: that kind of is the case. Anybody that drinks alcohol, drinks enough alcohol is going to get drunk.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Anybody that's, if they've never used before, acutely, when you're, when you're on the substance, you are hijacked. Mm. Okay. And yeah. for lots of people, that's the goal. Uh huh. <laughs> and yeah, then there aren't any consequences after they Mm -hmm. um, come down or sober up or whatever. Right,
0: right. So so what would the zombie apocalypse of addiction be? So if people were even more vulnerable to getting hijacked by substances than they are now, what would that zombie apocalypse be like?
2: Everybody's always under the influence of something. (laughs) But eventually
0: we'd run out of.
2: Why? Substances, right? No. no? We, I mean, um this is big business. <laughs> I mean, um <laughs> the the medical marijuana mm-hmm. company, like who is it? Coke or I don't want to get in trouble, Coke or Pepsi or somebody like all these um corporations are investing in medical marijuana um growth. Mm-hmm. Um because this is big business. Mm-hmm. It'll all those drugs will be there.
0: <laughs> okay. So so say like 75% of the population is super vulnerable to getting addicted to okay. anything and everything.
2: So the ongoing use, causing problems, not just acutely high.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's only like 25% of the population that is, you know, kind of able to continue to have like a non-addicted existence. Right. Like, is that a sustainable world if we have, you know... of people is, like, hijacked all the time by either the substance they're on or the desire to get that substance.
2: In the picture that comes to my mind... Happy death Day no what's the where the there's one day a year where you can break any crime there's so oh, movies oh, the, purge. The, the purge thank sure. you so <laughs> it's like that just be every day. It's like you're either <laughs> trying to get the money or the trying to get the drugs or using the drugs and you're out of it I mean mm-hmm. if if everybody's constantly on drugs
1: it it'd be chaos
0: yeah. I mean,
1: so it would be a zombie apocalypse yeah I absolutely mean, I keep hearing, like so there's like because there's like the opioid crisis and then so the opioid crisis and then like the meth because I remember like a few years back I was in Hawaii and they had a, like a big meth problem I don't know if that's still the case well but.
2: meth has typically been in more rural areas um, mm-hmm. it's cheap to make you, occasionally you blow up your house um, sure. uh, <laughs> but it, it, it tends to be Minor in more rural areas um, and it's still a problem. It just doesn't get the same play on the media, but that's still a problem. Opioids is kind of taking over everything. I mean, um, but marijuana is this huge issue too. Now. I mean, there's, um, the majority of States, 38, I think have passed medical marijuana. Um, the, uh, legal or recreational use is in the high teens. Now. Um, it's coming up on the Arizona ballot again. Um, but medical marijuana is a joke, <laughs> the way it's been done. Um, not to say that marijuana doesn't potentially have some medicinal benefits, but there's not been much research done on that. And what other medicine do we say, take as much as you want, whenever you want, <laughs> however you want, uh, and it's just this free-for-all. I mean, and th- we, That's not medicine. <laughs> right. Sure. So the way it's been done, it was, it was pushed for recreational Um, there are some benefits of marijuana, but there needs to be research done on it. We need to figure out what the dosing should be, what the, uh, how it should be administered to actually be effective.
1: Now, now is this idea of a sort of like outbreak of marijuana addiction to me that for some reason hearing about like an opioid epidemic, I imagine that sounds a lot worse than a... People don't typically die from pot. Right. Right.
2: Um, now... Um, driving under the influence um, still happens. But, yeah, you're, you're, you're just going to be sitting on your couch. Uh, <laughs> sure. Now, now that's changed, though, because of vaping. Um, you can now – so cannabis concentrates can come in a form of an oil or a, a thick substance that you can vape and there's no odor to it. So you can now do this in public. Mm. Um, and so you can be high and not paying attention or hallucinating and, and really causing some problems. And, and we don't even really know the extent of how much it's being used. We know that uh, people are self-reporting when we do surveys that, um, that they're using in public, um, vaping cannabis concentrates. Hmm. Um, so that it's, it's becoming a bigger issue. It used to be, I'm I'm going to smoke my bowl in my house and, and watch TV and have the munchies and really not an apocalypse coming out of that. It doesn't seem like other than a little bit less productivity. Sure. (laughs) Um, But concentrates are really changing the game um, because it's, it's ultra high potency. Um, If you THC is the psychoactive substance in cannabis, Um, it's typically 12% in the, leaves and buds that you'd smoke, Uh um, it can be 80, 90% in cannabis concentrates. And Mm -hmm. so you're getting this really high dose that we just don't know about Mm -hmm. much about. There's not been a lot of research Mm -hmm.
0: on. So the the medical marijuana issue, actually it brings up uh, a question that maybe we can kind of end with, which is, when can these sort of mechanisms of zombification that are involved with drugs actually be used for, for good and how, right? So I know right. like opiates originally, you know, th- like it, like the, the intention in prescribing them was to relieve people of pain. Right. Uh, had these unintended consequences and at least, you know, with medical marijuana, the idea behind it is to, um, have benefits for people. Right. So, so what, you know, where are those benefits? How can we best take advantage of those, um, or enhance them, and like sort of minimize the negative effects?
2: Right. Well, we don't yet know um, because of how marijuana is classified by the federal government as a Schedule One drug. It says Schedule One means there's no medicinal benefits, um, and it means so you can't research it. You can't. We can't administer marijuana in a controlled situation. Wait, so
0: the government says there's no medicinal benefit, but there's medical marijuana. I don't understand. At the state
2: level, states have finally okay. said I see. It's um, a government versus state issue. Right. Okay. The feds have have resisted rescheduling marijuana. So the states have finally gotten fed up. People have finally gotten fed up and and through the states have started uh-huh. legalizing it. Um, but but, there's no way but to do if we want if we want federal money for a grant to study it, there's there's some limited options. Um, Mississippi, I think University of Mississippi grows um, with federal approval grows some marijuana, but it's like three or four percent THC, so it's nothing like what's actually being used in real world situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you can you can apply and get that. Um, marijuana only and administer it um, so there's a few studies that are going on but it's not it's not really that applicable to what's currently being used.
0: Mm-hmm. So basically to even sort of figure out what the benefits how to be,
2: use it effectively um, for benefit
0: it has to already be sort of called a substance that has medical benefits right. in order to get federal money to do research on what those benefits are.
2: Correct. So That seems like and it's and so the a problem. <laughs> well, so um, like Colorado is one of the first ones to legalize recreationally, and they're using state money to do some of this research. Mm-hmm. Um, California is starting to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife Madeline Myers, this is her area's um, mm-hmm. marijuana, yeah. um, and so she's doing survey data, just talking to people and and getting information about people that are using medicinally here in the mm-hmm. state, um, who also usually use recreationally, um, mm-hmm. but that's, so we're, it's all these go-arounds to try to get at some of this information.
0: Mm-hmm. And how about sort of more broadly with, you know, drug use? I mean, obviously there's lots of, you know, quote, drugs, right, that are, are part of m- medicine practice, right? That's right. And then there's drugs that are sort of substances that people can become addicted to that are that are problematic and there's some overlap.
2: Right? Absolutely. I mean, opiates, yeah. um, benzodiazepines, which are for anxiety. Um, it's a sedative and it's, has a high abuse potential and they've really tried to rein in how much that's prescribed because it does get diverted. Mm-hmm. Um, opiates have been, um, so restricted now that people that need it for chronic pain can't get it yeah. at the level that they need. So, um, and then you've got the the ones that have no medicinal purposes, but I mean, there's there's some studies on LSD that um, show that it may be effective for depression. Um, there's um, as well as PTSD. I think so. Mm. That a lot of these substances, when used in moderation,
0: in the right context, in the right
2: context, yeah. can be beneficial. I mean, d- lots of people like having a drink after work to relax and it's no big deal. Or or to go out for happy hour and be socially um, engaged, and it's not a problem. So yeah. it's not to say that almost any of these drugs are all bad. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, can, they can serve a purpose that, that causes no problems.
0: I, I've just finished reading Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, which is about you know, LSD and um, psychobacillin and he kind of makes an argument that um that these drugs almost have the potential to uh de us he doesn't use that term but he's kind of arguing that you know we get stuck in patterns of thinking and um you know and that, that can include depression it can include existential anxiety these kinds of things that these drugs might be able to help with
2: wait so i have not read that book yet okay but um, the idea is that drugs can cause such a shift in perspective that you can just really get out of yourself and take a look at it differently and mm-hmm. and almost kind of just reset yourself. Mm-hmm. So uh, same with um, when we use shock treatment for depression, mm-hmm. just zaps the brain, kind of resets everything um, mm-hmm. and and just kind of you get to start. From scratch and and look at things differently. Do they so, still do shock treatment? Oh, absolutely, depression? really. Um, for people that are have severe depression um, th- that have been um, treatment resistant to all the different meds, then um, ECT electroconvulsive therapy huh. um, is very effective. I mean, it's just done in um, day day centers, medical centers now. Um, you just go in oh. and get zapped, and uh, <laughs> the biggest side effect is a little bit of memory loss. <laughs> Wow. Um and but it really does seem to just kind of reset everything and, and can really help that um for people that haven't gotten any kind of relief from other treatments.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. My preferred method of getting a, a different perspective is like taking a vacation or something as opposed to zapping I mean, myself. That's a it.
2: that's a completely different <laughs> setting than tenure, tenure, tenure and <laughs> stress yeah, and work. You you are looking at, it's completely different you just shut your brain off from that perspective you read for fun instead of yeah. for your job and it's a it's a way of resetting yourself
0: yeah and uh, you like to go skiing right
1: I, I in theory I go skiing yes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. so uh uh yeah I mean I do like a lot of times I find that sort of like going out and like camping or something will mm-hmm. uh will have that sort of reset i suppose yeah. so um but
0: uh excellent well i found that this whole conversation helped me to kind of reset my mind a little bit about drugs and addiction and, and right. differently <laughs> so the
2: the goal is use it if it's not causing problems but don't let it take over your life and zombify you
0: Right, and start letting your kids drink caffeine when they're the right size.
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right. So. Well, thank you for having me. This was a blast.
0: It was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your brains with us this episode.
2: Yeah. I Hopefully I have enough of my brain left to get through the rest of the day.
1: So. <laughs> Happy to share.
0: All right, thanks, Matt. Awesome. That was great. And if the whole world says that we're crazy, Zombified is a production of Arizona State University and the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance.
1: That's right. And we would like to say thank you to everyone who helps make Zombified possible, including the Department of Psychology here at ASU.
0: What what do you have there,
1: Dave? (laughs) You know, this was my tea and I was like, I'll get my tea like after for the outro and then I could drink it, but it was in the freezer and now it looks it's just like
0: it's frozen.
1: It's frozen solid. I can't even drink my tea. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just looking at it. And so I have a spoon. I might try to, Oh, there we go. There we go. I got it.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, while you drink that, let me thank the interdisciplinary cooperation initiative and the president's office at ASU for their support.
1: And also the Lincoln Center for Applied Ethics. Uh,
0: In the zombie apocalypse. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all the brains that helped make this podcast, especially Tal Rom, who does our awesome sound.
1: Neil Smith, who does all our illustrations, um, which you can see behind Athena.
0: Yes. Uh-huh. Lemmy, the creator of our song, Psychological.
1: And our Z-Team, who does transcriptions and a lot mm-hmm. of. Media outreach, a, there's a whole bunch of them, and they do fantastic work. So Yeah,
0: yeah. Thank you, Z Team. You rock. We love you.
1: So, uh, and for people out there who like social media, you should check us out on all of them. Um,
0: yes, <laughs> so. all of the social media. <laughs> we are uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Spotify, TikTok, TikTok, and you, know, you can... Uh, Find links to all of our social media accounts from zombified.org. That's
1: right, and you should also check out our conference. Uh,
0: yes, the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Meeting, which is happening October fifteenth through eighteenth. It's all online, and it is going to be like no academic meeting you've ever been to.
1: Yeah, like so. It's online, but it's really we're switching things up a lot. Like it's not just going to be people standing there talking we've got well we do have we have everything ranging from talks to workshops to television programs yeah
0: uh, yep so So if you want to learn how to eat well in the zombie apocalypse yeah eat pray run is uh is for you um if you like zombie movies you'll love brain dead theater where we Talk about clips from zombie TV shows and zombie movies.
1: That's a really fun one. It's yeah, yeah. Um, and um,
0: Doctor Zed.
1: That's right. You can learn how to survive. So yeah, and, uh, it's
0: our it's our doctor show for the zombie apocalypse. So things you might want to know, like how to treat a zombie wound, what to put in your go bag. Speaking of go bags, go bag oh, challenge. Oh well, there's
1: the go bag challenge, and which actually people can. Not only tune in for that during the conference, but now people can take a picture of their go bag. Whatever you have that you have like for if the apocalypse strikes now, you're going to grab this and go. Take a picture, put it on Instagram, and uh, how do they share it with us? Or Twitter. And then how do they tag us? uh, Go
0: Bag Challenge and Zam Apocalypse. So, All right. Yep.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. And then we're actually going to be picking people where we like their go bags and then it's going to be like a little reality show where we'll give you like possibly little scenarios and you'll have to say how you'd survive. So I think it'd be a lot of fun.
0: It's, It's going to be amazing. So we're really excited for it. We're going to be launching a lot of these shows during the conference, actually as part of the conference programming. And then Channel Z will live on afterwards until the zombie apocalypse gets the best of all of us.
1: That's right. But the people who register for the conference. They get access to some exclusive workshops, which I think are really cool. They yep. also get a t-shirt, an exclusive t-shirt that's that's fairly gross, but not as gross as some. It's <laughs> oh. not that gross anymore. <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted <laughs> it to be so gross. I
1: wanted it to be super gross, but yeah. it's pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's still it's a great t-shirt. And uh, but then we also oh. do have other t-shirts at zombify.org, right? Uh, that's right. In our merchandise store, so you can yeah. just go straight there. You should get both, and you can start putting together a wardrobe. Yeah. So, um, or a
0: sticker. Uh, I've got some of them right there. That's true. Floating head so, stickers. So. So. Um,
1: yeah. Yep. Stick them or on your T-shirts. Or floating head shirts. Yeah. So. Um, you could you
0: put it on your head, or that's wherever.
1: Right. So. Or your so. you can put it on your coffee mug. So. Yeah, that's actually oh. a mason jar. I call it a coffee mug. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> uh, anything else we should let people know?
0: So. No, just check out uh, zombiemed.org, channelz.org, and you will find everything you ever wanted to know about how to survive the apocalypse while being entertained.
1: All right. So cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. This yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to Zombified your source for Fresh Brains. I know it's crazy,
1: but it seems so logical. I can't deny that there is something supernatural with you. Makes me out the way.